Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. Ein Manu Veth, hier ist Stefan Bienkowski. Und Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, not bad at all. I'm actually really tired, to be honest with you. My legs are like spaghetti. Uh, springtime has finally arrived here in Scotland, and I've, I've used this kind of long weekend, because we have the Monday off as a bank holiday in the UK, to go hill walking. Uh, then I, that was on the Saturday. On Sunday, I did a bit of walking as well with some friends, and then today, I think I went off into the the forests near Aberfoyle, and I think I was walking for about 12 12k of my dog so my legs are well and truly done i'm sitting upright in this computer chair but you know you we were on video right now because obviously recording for the youtube channel as well and you might have to prompt me a few times if i just fall asleep on it <laughs> <laughs> oh it's good to get the cardio in like i mean i told you before the podcast that now that the days are longer we have these nice early mornings i decided rather than doom scrolling in the morning to do something that i've always used to do and that's weightlifting everyone who follows me knows i'm i'm an avid cyclist i do between 300 and 500 kilometers a week for cycling right But the legs, the legs are good. The arms have started to look like spaghetti. So I decided to go back to to get some weightlifting done again. So yeah, I had a nice early start. Uh, that it's good to get the exercise in, right? It's can't, important. Can't, <laughs> you, you cannot skip arm day, whatever whatever you do. No, like most people seem to skip leg day. I'm the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit like that myself, actually. Whenever I used to go to the gym, I much preferred, well, just in general, I much prefer cardio to weightlifting and stuff. So, yeah. But I think that's because I'm kind of quite, I'm not a heavy guy, but I'm blocky. You know, I'm from like Polish stock, like working stock, I guess. <laughs> I mean, my, my wife makes fun of me because I've got like these kind of square hands, which I call them spade hands because I've just, and they just sum up me perfectly. Like I'm like a square. I'm, I feel like I'm going to turn in, I'm going to turn into the old man from up. So every time I do exercise, it's like, I need to do cardio. I need to get like trimmer. But yeah, that's been my week. Yeah. Yeah. Or I weekend. mean, I think as long as you get your steps slash exercise in, um, especially as both of us are approaching our mid slash late thirties. Anyways, <laughs> dating us terribly. And we're totally off topic. Um, because we had a pretty interesting Bundesliga match day once again, and we should probably jump into it right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. 
be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is B-L-E-A-V for 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, Stefan, I'm done. I will no longer make any predictions. Um, I'm sick and tired of it. Um, I think it's pointless. I feel like that every time I think I figured it out, um, I get a curveball thrown my way that just completely and utterly um, ruins it for me. Um, having said that, now my prediction of the title race being over before the final match day is probably going to become true because I said this, but <laughs> we're here again. Um, Dortmund cough up two points. Tons of talking points in this game. And Bayern Munich then, of course, win their games against Hertha. Huge surprise, although I do not think that they look convincing at all in this match um, against a team that is probably now relegated. Um, hmm. Let's start with the Bochum result, because this is a huge point for VfL Bochum in the relegation battle. And a lot of teams around Hertha have point picked up big points, right? Um, we get to talk about Schalke in a moment as well. Dortmund and... At the time when we saw the situation, um, the Karim Adeyemi foul, and I think it sometimes it's really good to just reflect for forty eight hours and let it all wash over you and you know see see the reactions come in. I think it's pretty safe mm. to say that the DFB missed one here. Um, that this was a penalty. Um, Stegemann admitted this as much himself. I actually think that the way he explained it. Uh, makes this look even worse because one of his things that he said on, I think it was on Doppelpass, that Dortmund player should have protested even louder to ensure that he looked at this again. It's just, it's a bad picture. I you know Dortmund fans will feel aggrieved and I think they have a point, but you should not rely on a penalty to beat Bochum. You should never, ever yeah. rely on a penalty to beat Bochum. And I think this is where like maybe the Dortmund fans have it right to complain about the referee, but... At that point, it should have already been 2-3-1 for Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... Um, I mean, first things first, it was a penalty. Um, I did have kind of some doubts at, in real time. Not really mm, to the yeah. extent that I thought it was a penalty, but I think it's probably fair to say that Adeyemi does lean into the defender mm -hmm. in this instance. Like, you know, the ball comes across the box and... The ball's basically behind Adeyemi yeah. if you if you if you catch my drift, uh, and then the Bochum defender just kind of like uh, Soares, I think it was, um, really really stupid slide tackle. I don't know whether he's maybe trying to um, preempt what he thought was an Adeyemi shot, so maybe he's slide tackling in to try and block the slot the shot, but Adeyemi basically falls over him. Goalkeeper doesn't call it, and it's just kind of blown into this whole thing over the weekend. Whereby, I mean, you had Terzic and Sebastian Kell coming out with some truly remarkable kind of toys out the pram moments. Where mm. you had Kell basically saying, um, "I actually have the quote here." Um, well, actually, I'll get to Terzic first because I thought Terzic's mm. comments were ridiculous. Where he basically said, um, "You know." I said it last week, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance for us, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime chance for me to get so close to the championship trophy in my life, and then there are decisions like that. Now, <laughs> you can, you can, we, can, we can argue yeah. about the decisions all day long, but for Terzic to kind of contextualise it within the point that, 
oh my god, Dortmund are so close close to getting to a title. Um, why isn't the referee bearing that in mind? Is just truly bizarre. Uh, and then I think the other interesting thing you maybe you maybe um, know better than me because I was kind of just flicking through the newspapers uh, and and the kind of comments this week or today actually about the kind of reaction and seems as though Stegman's basically said that he didn't hear anything from the the beat the Cologne bunker you know in terms of the the VAR people mm. um, he wasn't prompted by them yeah. to go back and look at it which in most typical protocol would be that if he misses that call they would say to him, maybe you should have a look at that. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, VR, he can only look at VR if he's made a decision and then he looks at VR to see if he's wrong about that decision. But because he didn't make a call, he couldn't go back through too far. I I don't even know if that's true, to be honest. But basically, he says, look, I didn't hear anything in my ear about whether that was the wrong call. Sebastian (laughs) Sebastian Kell then says, if you don't use the means you have at your disposal in this situation, you don't watch it, then I think that's negligent cowardly and completely wrong mm. and you know I did actually my newsletter on you know whether Dortmund deserved to win the title this and, and you know this performance and how they've been performing on the road in particular and I'll maybe jump into some of those stats in a moment but mm. it kind of the, the, the thought that came to mind when I was kind of looking at the reaction from the Dortmund hierarchy was there's that old saying, you know, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I kind of reworded it saying hell hath no fury like a football club scorned because it felt to me like Dortmund suddenly had this tremendous excuse to kind of bail themselves out of dropping two points in this game. Because you can absolutely argue that Dortmund should have had a penalty. Just like I think you could probably argue that Takuma Asano should have had a penalty 10 minutes before that when Mats Hummels basically pushed him to the ground mm. in the Dortmund box. I thought I thought that was a pretty clear penalty, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but for Dortmund to argue that that penalty call um, was the reason that they dropped two points in this game is just bizarre to me because yeah. I thought, you know, I actually watched the game in real time. I watched the game back today, Monday afternoon, and... There's actually only maybe two, two and a half chances that Dortmund create in that second half. There's um, there's the Daniel Malin kind of back heel about 10 minutes from time. Makuku has a really clear-cut chance when he comes on, completely fluffs his chances there. And I think Jude Bellingham has a half chance with a kind of late-run shot into the box. And that's it. There's, there's really nothing else from yeah. Dortmund in that second half. And although they kind of did a decent job in the first half of kind of pulling it back after they go a goal down and maybe should have scored a second in this first half, they had they were asked huge questions of themselves in the second half and it just didn't live up to um or didn't match that standard so i don't know i feel like it, we can spend i mean i, I know we have to kind of talk about it because mm. obviously that's just the way it is but i feel like dortmund kind of moaning and complaining the referee kind of cost them this game and potentially has cost them the league title is yeah absolutely nonsense to be honest with you because you know, if you kind of look at Dortmund's away form in particular, where they've been dropping points for fun, they've only picked up, I think, six wins from 14 games on the road this season. They've yeah. got the fourth best away record. Uh, we saw this against Stuttgart not so long ago. They continue to drop points. It's their own fault that they are now second in the league. And it's their own fault that they're now probably, I mean, I'm not going to say they have thrown the mid league title because there's still plenty of football to play, but. <laughs> They're in this position because it's their own fault. It's not because of the, the referee or, or one bad penalty call. Yeah, I had some people suggest to me that uh, Manuel Riemann had the game of his life and that the Bellingham chance that you're pointing out, he makes it look good, you know, but having been a goalkeeper myself, we love a shot like that. It's easy to stop. 
but looks fantastic, right? Because you get to dive, um, but in the end of the day, it is not it is it's not a difficult save to make if you are a Bundesliga goalkeeper. Looks good on TV. He had a few moments like that. So like there was people saying like, oh, Riemann had like game of his life. This game was like an absolute fluke. I'm like, did he though? I mean, it was definitely a game that he enjoyed because he got to do the things that goalkeepers love to do, which is diving and, you know, making saves look good. But none of these stops were extremely difficult. Um, and what I kind of missed in this Dortmund game in the attack is that sort of urgency that they had in the last 10, 15 minutes where they did really push. A couple of things that stood out to me here is that oftentimes they would take one or two touches rather than take one touch, right? When you play against a team like Bochum that is in a defensive block like that, playing literally for their lives, right? Because they're in the relegation battle and this point is enormous for them. Um, then you have to be more precise in the chances that you are taking. Um, you add to the fact that this is a derby, right? This is a game that is comes with all this adage that we explained in the previous show. You just have to be more precise in, in in your in your finishing situations. I actually thought that Dortmund's response to going down one 0 was excellent. You know, the equalizer came right away, and then I thought, okay, well, they equalized but within two minutes. It's like this will pave the way for them to actually win this game, right? Because like the response was, oh, we go down one 0 Two minutes later, Adeyemi with a one touch, one touch uh, score equalizes. Right, that is how you execute the attacks. And then, sort of, nothing happened after that. They didn't have the urgency to right away build on the equalizer. And I think, like, the more the minutes kind of, I had the sense, like, oh yeah, we have like another. It was kind of like we have another forty-five minutes to equalize. We have another 30 minutes to equalize. We have another 20 minutes to equalize. The missed penalty happens. It's like, okay, we still have another 15 minutes to equalize. We have another 10 minutes to equalize. Oh crap, we're running out of time. We have to eat. We have to like, we have to go score the go ahead. And then all of a sudden it clicked, right? But it was too little or too late. They huffed and puffed. That urgency was way too late. You have to put a team like Bochum to sword the moment you score the equalizer. And that never happened. And I think that is something where that you see quite often with Dortmund. It's either. They lack the urgency when they when they score a big goal like that. I mean, the Stuttgart one was a great example. Just make make it three two, just wrap it up, and then they just kind of stop, right? Um, and this is just not something you can do if you want to win the title. Look, those two points and the two points against Stuttgart, you'd be what like three points ahead of Bayern Munich now. That probably would be enough to win the title. So Terzic and Kiel, that's where I'm kind of laughing. It's like it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to win the title and the referee takes it away from, from us. It's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, you've been dropping points from winning situations against Bremen, against Stuttgart. Um, this was unnecessary. Like, you know, once at one point when Bayern gives you a massive assist like that, you got to convert. And... I'm not sure it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because like, we get to talk about Bayern and all the issues in a moment. But, you know, this would be a good... Like, the Bundesliga needs the 10-year run to end at some point. And Dortmund can complain about the referee as much as they want. We had plenty of situations this year where Bayern Munich fans were aggrieved. You know, how, of, how long did we talk about that Upamecano red card against Gladbach, right? And... 
they had plenty of situations where they were unhappy about the referee and the decisions that were made against them. And we were critical about Bayern then as well on this podcast for saying, well, they also weren't good enough. So, you know, you can, two things can be true at the same time, right? A referee could come up with a decision that was, that didn't favor you, but you could still be not good enough at the same time to win the game. And I think in this game, both those things are true. Stegemann should have given Dortmund a penalty. That was the wrong call. The, the VER team should have interfered. They did not, for whatever reason, did give Stegemann the indication to, to look at this again, which he should have, right? But Dortmund should have still won the game regardless. And I think in this case, both those things are true. And I think we are rightfully sitting here criticizing them for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, just set the record straight. You can be on, you can, you can quite easily say Dortmund should have had a penalty. I think Bochum should have had a penalty too, to be honest, right? So you can say they should have had a penalty, but also say that's not an excuse for not winning this game. And I felt like the really interesting thing about this match was that Daniel Malin really hit the, got out of the blocks really fast in this game. He was tremendous in that first half. We've seen this happen quite a few times now where he has a really good first half and then he starts to look quite tired. I know he almost got a spectacular uh, goal in this you know, second half, that kind of back heel thing. Um, but it's really interesting how Dortmund have almost kind of slotted into this kind of comfort zone of thinking, because Mal- Malin has been so outstanding recently, I think he's either scored or assisted like the last seven or eight games in a row now. Um, it's almost like this front line has kind of started relying on him to kind of create or score goals, you know. Um, but then if you actually kind of look at their Bundesliga form in general and the players who are scoring goals in the league, it's actually quite bleak. I mean, Julian Brandt is the club's top goal scorer in the Bundesliga this season with eight goals. And Yusufa Makuku is second with seven goals. This is a guy who hasn't started a game for Dortmund in, what, two or three months maybe? I mean, don't get me wrong, he comes on, he's a good sub and he's still a great young player, but... He was very notably replaced by Sebastian Haller after the turn of the you know turn of the year when once Haller came back, um, and you know I don't know I think I think Jude Bellingham could provide a lot more goals. We saw him have some chances in this game. He missed uh, with that kind of one shot in particular, but the whole front line for me just really isn't kind of carrying its weight. We talk a lot about how Bayern missed a striker, but I think Dortmund have really lacked the kind of talisman in this game, not in this game, sorry, but just in in the league in general and. Relying on like the Brants and Makukus and even Malin to an extent to kind of um, drag Dortmund through matches like this, I think really shows the kind of vulnerabilities in this team and the frailty of this team. And I don't know, I, I feel like I, I, I kind of tweeted after, I, I kind of did like a kind of post match kind of roundup on Substack, uh, on a Substack note. And I had a subscriber ask me saying, well, you know, regardless of how they finish this season, do you think there'll be a big turnaround in players? And I said, well, I think it'll be evolution rather than revolution. And to which he then says, well, what, pos- what positions do you think they need to replace? To which I, I then basically outlined about seven or eight positions that probably need some change. And I said, well, actually, now that I think about it, maybe it does need to be kind of, maybe they do have to kind of chop up this team and rebuild it from scratch. Which then makes you wonder, well, where, what, what, what actually is this Dortmund team right now? Is it the start of something small? Or is it something small that's beginning to grow into something big? Is Terzic kind of building the kind of foundations for a squad that's going to get added to in the summer? Uh, or despite pushing Bayern all the way this season, are Dortmund going to have to still have to basically sell off a number of these players, move on a number of these players and rebuild again? And is next season going to be another transition season? Because 
I look at that kind of performance against Bochum and I do kind of wonder like where's the kind of long-term planning here? Where's the where's the spine of this team that's going to be here for the next four or five seasons and who are the players that are going to be relied upon? Because it does kind of feel like from week to week and look, to be honest, a lot of clubs are like this right now because it's been a very heavy season. We've had the World Cup. So I don't want to just kind of blame Dortmund for this and God knows we'll dig into Bayern in a moment. But um it does feel like Dortmund are just kind of going from one week to the next, kind of hoping that someone shows up and wins in the game. And it has been Daniel Malin recently, but he did his part by creating a goal in the first half. And in the second half, when they needed someone to put the ball in the back and then they just didn't have anyone to step up and, and be counted. Yeah, there was a really good t- tweet by uh, Tobias Escher from Spielverlagerung uh, in German. Uh, I retweeted it and he basically said, if Dortmund win the, Me- the Meisterschaft, which is still very much possible. This title race is far from being over, um, essentially because I think everyone knows that Bayern are still going to drop points, and we'll get to them in a moment. But he, what he said is like, if Dortmund win the championship, which is very much possible, every a lot of people will talk about their mentality, their strength of mentality, etc., and completely overlook that this team is still fundamentally flawed. And that's true. This team is still fundamentally flawed, and this is they they will win the title because. Everyone else was not strong enough to win the title either. Um, and that's, I, I mean, this is true for whoever wins the title in the end of the day. We can basically take that entire statement and say that about Bayern. Yeah. Can I also add another, th- can I throw another thing in there? Uh, Reese Edwards, who writes for KJM Football News, um, who is at underscore Reese Edwards on Twitter. He did a really good thread actually today, uh, May 1st, on, you know, breaking down and analysing Dortmund's performance. And he basically made a really good point of un- underlining how they had 64% possession, but just did not create any chances. So I definitely recommend people go have a, go find him on Twitter yeah. and have a look at that thread if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that brings us to the scenario of Bayern Munich would do beat Hertha. Um, and for about 65 to 70 minutes, it looked like my prediction that they would draw this game would come true because like Dortmund, they huffed and puffed. They could not find a way to get through this Hertha block. Hertha looked actually pretty well organized while not really offering much an attack. Yeah, there was a few times when Luki Baku did get forward, but you know, they never really it never felt like that Hertha would do something. Um essentially a moment of magic by Kimmich and Knabri win this game. Kuman then scores the second. But you know um Kimmich and Gnabry did what Dortmund didn't do against Bochum, and that was essentially one pass, one contact, goal, right? Um, they used that one moment when Hertha's defense was asleep to, to score what turned out to be the winner. That's great for Bayern. They're back on top. Um, I think everyone here is cautioned by the fact that this is Hertha, who, you know, with another 20 minutes of this, could have gotten a point there um you know and i think in the end of the day if this match ends zero zero i don't think many people would have been surprised right and that is i think where dortmund fans can be really optimistic um in the run-in and it also gets us to the point that if bayern drop points one more time we'll have the worst bundesliga champion since the 2010-2011 season in terms of points total um which is just remarkable and I think completely underlines what we all the things that we just said about Dortmund, which are also true about Bayern Munich, that this is literally a snail's race to the title. You know, like, uh, in fact, Union Berlin, 
if they had won their game against Leverkusen, would be within three points of first, which is also insane. Um, yeah, I mean, this no one wants to win this title, it looks like, including Bayern Munich. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of tweeted that um, on Sunday, I think it was, saying um, three reasons why I want Union, Union Berlin to win the title. And one of the points was that because Bayern and Dortmund don't deserve to win it. And I, that is kind of the conclusion I'm coming to this season, um, largely based on the fact that you can look at both teams and say, well, regardless of whoever wins it, they're going to have to spend the summer doing a lot of work to rebuild either team or both teams. Uh, to make them match fit and fighting fit for the for the next season. But, yeah, I mean, I think it goes some way to kind of showing just how much Dortmund, or how much, how much Bayern rally have, rather have kind of fallen from grace in the sense that what, is, what was a pretty routine 2-0 win over Hertha Berlin was kind of seen as like a relief, you know, to finally pick up three points. Um, and, you know, I, I think I tweeted at halftime that, Bayern really did bombard that Hertha goal. Hertha did a great job of defending at points, and I thought they didn't look entirely uh, uncomfortable for most of the Bayern pressure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about this at halftime, and I was kind of or during the game, and I was like, "No, Bayern are going to win this. Like, there's no way they don't beat this Hertha team." Um, I mean, it really would have been quite something. But you know, before the game, when we saw Chupamoting was out, I think it's going to be ruled out on Saturday. But um, that was a big deal because you know. They huffed and puffed in that first half, and like my conclusion was at halftime that Bayern are kind of going through the motions, but they just don't have anyone to kind of put the ball in the back of the net. And thought it was quite telling that it was the way Serge Gnabry finally scored that goal was through a header, which finally got into that kind of role of a kind of striker, finally into that role as a number nine, and finished like a number nine, and suddenly Bayern get that breakthrough. Um, but I could, I do kind of want to spend a moment on Joshua Kimmich here because. For the last two or three weeks, maybe longer, we've been kind of slowly but surely underlining the performances that him and Goretzka have been putting in. And while I don't think either of them have really had stinkers recently, I don't think it, I don't think either player would really make an argument to be that or would be willing to make the argument that they've had classic seasons. And you know, I know Kimmich isn't really renowned as a kind of playmaker, but I thought it's quite telling that he's got two assists in this game. And they were actually his first assist in the league since February, I think. Um, and when you do kind of partner that up with Leon Goretzka, who really should be a kind of box-to-box player who picks up about 10 or 15 goals and assists every season, it feels like while Bayern's glaring fault in this team is they don't have a striker, there are kind of issues across the pitch. And in the middle of the park, both Kimmich and Goretzka have kind of been below par. Kimmich looked back to his best somewhat in this game, but... Another interesting thing I thought was also Goretzka after the game basically came out and said, you know, we the players have had to put up a lot of criticism um, this season and I don't think it's fair, which I actually think a lot of, I've noticed a lot of Bayern fans took quite a lot of exception to that because, you know, the players haven't been good and you can blame Nagelsmann or you can now blame Tuchel, but at the end of the day, like if you keep changing the manager and nothing changes, then it's obviously the players and... I don't know, maybe that was just frustration on his part because I think he probably knows in his own heart that he hasn't had a great season. But, I don't know, I thought it was quite telling that once one of them finally stepped up and looked like their old self, they were able to win this game. And I think that's maybe something that's been missing this season. Yeah, I think Kimmich's magic foot, right? Uh, Zauberfuss was the headline in the Süddeutsche Zeitung. 
um, decides this game. And that is something that has been, been missing, the chip ball that he is so capable of playing into the box, right? Um, and it was a magnificent magnificent moment. Like that pass was a point, a spot point delivery and um, does make the difference in this game. Now, I don't think that Bayern Munich are out of the woods at all. Um, in fact, you know, the run-in is, is quite difficult. They still got Werder, they got Schalke, they got uh, Leipzig and then Köln, right? Um, and I think that three of those four teams are potential stumbling blocks. And uh, I know we have a lot of Köln listeners. It's not Köln. <laughs> I think, Schal- I mean, Schalke is probably, you know, people will look at Werder and Schalke and say, okay, well, they're not really that difficult. But Schalke in particular could be a team here that might say, hey, we, we, we need points here for survival. You know, this is not like, oh, nice to have. Like, this is like, when you look at the relegation race, they are actually in a situation where they probably need at least a point against Bayern Munich to, to have a chance of staying in the league. And I think they're actually capable of doing it, right? This is the other thing. They are the team that that could probably hurt them. Now, I don't know what, what's going on with Werder Bremen and Niklas Füllkrug, but I do think if Niklas Füllkrug is back, then that is a goal for Bremen right there, right? So, and <laughs> the amount of goals that Bayern have been scoring lately, that might be enough to get a point. So... You know, I think there is a run in there where Bayern Munich still, they have work to do to actually win this title. It is not a given that they win all four games. Um, I guess the bigger question then is, can Dortmund win all of their four games? Um, Having three home games is is massive versus two, right? Um, But at the end of the day, I think, you know, this is still very much open on this Bayern team, despite the expected win against Hertha, I think they're not quite over the hump yet. Mm. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like I said, it was just a routine 2-0 win over Hertha. This was probably the easiest fixture that Barn yeah. could have had this weekend. With all with all due respect to Hertha Berlin, you know, I'm not trying to kind of um, rain on their parade. Well, not that they're having a parade. Oh. Hit the, hit the Mylar, kick, them, kick the, kick the Mylar down is probably the best idiom I could use for that. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I felt like this was this this felt like a bit of a leg up for for Bayern, and they will have tougher tests to come. I think it'd be really interesting to see how Tuchel kind of takes the next couple of games because obviously the kind of main thing was the fact that you know um, Rupert Makana was missing from this game mm. with an injury, so Pavard Pavard comes into mid uh, defence alongside De Ligt, um, with with Masrui and then Cancelo, and I thought that actually worked quite well to be honest with you. Um, so it'll be interesting. I and mean, then obviously, you know, we got issues with Sadio Mani up front, which didn't quite work yeah. out. Um I don't know, it's it, it, it this Bayern team really just feels like it's it, it's almost like a pre-season tour where like they're playing different players every mm. week. Some are working, some aren't. Tuchel's still trying to kind of figure out what players he can rely on. Um but he's having to do this all in, in the trickiest of situations, and I guess to, to kind of bring it back to like this kind of, I don't want to call it an underwhelming title race because I'm still really enjoying it and it's very entertaining and it gives us stuff to talk about. I really hope people listen to this we're enjoying the show as well and enjoying the season. Uh, but it it's such a benefit to Bayern that they can rely on Dortmund dropping points in just about every away game um, that they seem to be playing right now. Now, Dortmund only have one more away game um, coming up. So they've got three home games and then one away game. I can't actually remember who that Augsburg. away game against, but I don't remember it. 
yeah. I'd say it doesn't seem like a, seem like a yeah. difficult one, but obviously Augsburg picked up a point this yeah. weekend, so you never really know. But um, it'd be really interesting to see how Bayern do kind of get on going forward. And, and I mean, I guess Chupamotain coming back at some point make a big difference because they desperately missed him. But, so, just one more thing, actually, maybe like, it just kind of popped into my head here. Serge Gnabry gets his goal, uh, you know, playing almost like a kind of number nine. Um... And I do think it's really interesting to see what happens for him in between now and the end of the season as well because he, I think, more than just about any forward player in this team, perhaps even more so than Sadio Mane, um, has a lot of question marks over his future, I think, because while Leroy Sani seems to kind of be a kind of um, ingrained kind of star player in this mm. team, you know, at least in terms of like as a, as a leader or maybe not a leader, but as a kind of a senior member of the squad in terms of his pay pack. Uh, you know, Kingsley Coleman has a very clear role in this team because he's the right winger, or he can sometimes play on the left, but he's a, he's, the, he's a winger through and through, and he'll do what he's asked to do as a winger. If you don't have a number nine in the box, that's not his problem. He's going to do what a winger's supposed to do, and, you know, it's, it's up to the club to find another player to fit in there. And Sadio Mane is a player who I think has a lot of talent. He's got a lot of pedigree. And I'd be really intrigued to see if Tuchel actually maybe can kind of rebuild something there between now and the summer. But he is undoubtedly kind of a player who would play up front if the club's stuck with him. Serge Gnabry just kind of seems to float in between all these roles. He was kind of started as almost like a number 10 in this game. But with Musiala in the squad, they kind of played over one another. And I don't know, I just wonder where Serge Gnabry kind of fits into this team going forward, or if at all. And, you know, when the season finishes up, and regardless of whether Bayern finished first or second, you know, you're going to have Oliver Kahn, Salihamovic, Thomas Tuchel, whoever else, with a whiteboard and a list of names on one side of the board, and, you know, a list of positions, like we have on Transfermarkt, where you can kind of rank the squad by positions. And Serge Gnabry doesn't really nail down any of those positions. He just kind of floats between them all. And I do wonder if, when Bayern are looking at what's going wrong with the squad, players like that may be the first ones to go in the sense that they don't really hold a specific role in the team, except sometimes playing up front and sometimes scoring the mm. odd goal. Yeah, Serge Gnabry's future, I think, is going to be really interesting. Um, because, like, as you said, like he doesn't really fit that number nine role. Um, I mean, we, we discussed... Um, Bayern Munich's future number nine I think in great length um, on the show various shows so um, it's going to be interesting to see what his future holds and whether he's going to still be at the club I mean you mentioned Oliver Kahn Hassan Salihamidzic we're not sure if they're still at the club when the, the dust settles um, Oliver Kahn I was kind of shocked by this um, when I saw the video um, he looked like he's aged 10 years since I've seen it last in February um, which tells you the pressure that he's under, um, I think, at the club at the moment. Um, I actually was really shocked by it. You know, like how there's these photos of Barack Obama after his first year in office as a president and how how aged he looked after that first year. I was shocked how aged Oliver Kahn looked. And I think it tells you quite a bit of how much is going on behind closed doors. Yeah. Can I, can I also just make a final point before we move on to our game? Um and this is such a stupid thing to pick up on in a football match, but because it's Bayern Munich, it's probably quite necessary. We always talk about how, like, at least over the last four or five weeks, every time a team scores against Bayern Munich, the camera cuts to Sajamovic <laughs> yeah. and Oliver Kahn sitting next to each other, one of them with his head in his hands, the other one kind of looking dismayed. 
Um, this week for this game, I thought it was quite telling is that Khan and Sihamovic weren't sitting next to each other at all. In fact, I'm not even sure if they had, they had Sihamovic in the crowd. Maybe yes. they did, but Khan was, was sitting, sitting on his own. Yeah. Right. So Heiner and Sihamovic are sitting together. Khan is sitting on his own, but who did the cam? Who did the camera cut to time and time again? Uli Honis and Rummenigge both sitting beside each other, and they were kind of sitting almost in the exact same spot that Salihamovic and Khan usually sit in. It's almost like subconsciously the kind of cameramen at the Bundesliga were just kind of cutting to these two old kind of guys who used to do yeah. the job, rather than the guys, rather than Salihamovic and Khan who had quite literally been pushed to the sides in the stand. Uh, and I thought that's just so interesting. Like, so, like psychologically, the fact that these two guys have been sitting next to each other. No, they're not sitting next to each other, and the old guards have been placed front and center. But I'm sure Bayern do these things on purpose. Yeah, I'm absolutely certain yeah. of it. But it says a lot about how things are going on at the club behind. Well, that's what I said. Right like last week, it's like Kremlinology, right? Where like the Soviet leaders were placed in certain <laughs> positions so the West could figure out where their hierarchy status is, and I think that's what's going on at Bayern Munich. So I guess this is Sebna Straße Lology. Where we like try to figure out <laughs> on where they where they're sitting in the stand, on what their current status in the hierarchy is. Um, based on that, it's not looking good for Oliver Kahn. But um, we have, <laughs> I think, there's lots more to discuss about this later this week when we have more information. Um, I do want to stay with Hertha, but transition it to the relegation um, race because, and this is, can be brief. I think Hertha now. Um, six points to 16th and 15th, right? Bochum and Stuttgart both on 28 points, Hertha on 22, with four games left. Um, bearing in mind a miracle, Hertha are probably relegated. I think we can probably say that. I, I, you just, I can't see them making up six points in four games. No, nor can I. And we did kind of talk about this at length, actually, I think last week. I can't remember if it was on one of the bonus shows or the main show, but I did kind of wonder whether the appointment of Pal Dardai was, was with one eye on going down and having a kind of steady hand. Maybe not. I mean, he might just kind of go back to his normal role in the summer once they find someone else to take his job. But yeah, that kind of new manager bounce just has not happened for Hertha. Um, and... It probably makes things. It couldn't have been a better time because we, we, you know, I watched the Schalke game in, in particular as well, and that that turnaround against Werder Bremen was quite something. And it really makes for a really interesting kind of final kind of few weeks in that point of the table because you've now got Schalke on twenty seven, Bochum on twenty eight, Stuttgart on twenty eight, Hoffenheim on twenty nine, and then I guess Augsburg at thirty one, who might get. I think in. that's the cutoff. I think Werder on thirty five are probably okay. I think the cutoff is thirteenth, um, but also I think eighteenth is settled now too. It's really between seventeenth and thirteenth. Those one, two, three, four, five teams are going to figure out. Um, the rest of the relegation race. Um, and all those teams, um, I th- yeah, well, Schalke and Augsburg still have matches in against the title holders. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Oh, title favorites, um, let's word it that way. But, you know, we mentioned Bochum already. That point against Dortmund is in this context is huge, right? Um, Schalke with a huge win over Werder Bremen. Um, 
and uh, that was a very late turnaround as well. Uh, which you know, in the context of, I think if they had dropped two points or all three here, they'd be in a similar situation in Hertha. Um, but because they they won this game, the relegation battle now looks extremely interesting. And of course, Schalke is still playing Bayern. <laughs> so I, I think we're actually in a really interesting situation now where the relegation race, um, we don't know who's going to op- occupy 17th and 16th um, at the end of the season. Yeah, I actually think Schalke do a really good job of kind of like summing up how crazy this relegation race has been this season because you look at that kind of match against Werder Bremen. Now, Bremen obviously score early on with a great goal through Dukes and I thought it was really interesting. There's Mitchell Weiser that scored the got the equal uh, created the goal. It was a really really silky assist, mm-hmm. um, and you know you kind of think at that point. Well, Werder Bremen are mid table team, arguably they've got an early goal. They really should see this out. Um, but Schalke just kept going and going and going. Now, maybe, maybe it would be a different story if Fulcrum was playing, who's obviously missing from this game. Um, but Schalke just kept going. And, you know, not only did he manage to turn around and get a, a late equaliser in the 81st minute, but then Drexler scores with basically the last touch of the game. Right after, I think it was Dukes actually almost made it 2-1 for Werder Bremen. It was kind of like a heroic sliding tackle. I can't remember from uh, which Schalke defender. Um and the interesting thing from this is, obviously, you know, Schalke then pick up three points, which, if you kind of look at the way the league table ends up playing out this weekend, it's huge for them, because if they lose that game, they're sitting on 24 points, and all of a sudden, it looks like you've got your bottom two right there. And But for people who haven't been following the Bundesliga this season, it's really worth pointing out how hard Schalke have worked to try and get out of this bottom three um, to the extent that I actually went back and looked, and since Thomas Rice was appointed last October, Schalke have been the tenth best team in the division, um, and yet they're still sitting here second bottom. And I think that's also due to the fact that the teams around them just continue to pick up points. You know, you kind of look at if you kind of look at the three teams above Hertha Berlin right now, you've got Schalke who've picked up two wins in the last three. You've got Bochum who've picked up three draws in the last five games. You've got Stuttgart who've won two and drawn two of the last five. Uh, and you can even go above that to Hoffenheim who've had a kind of quick turnaround as well with two wins and a draw in the last five games under Matarazzo. So even Augsburg, you know, who are above them. Yeah. So we, were, we talked about this in the bonus show at length with Chris Williams. So I definitely recommend anyone who hasn't listened to that to go have a listen as to why this bottom half of the table is mm. so tight this season. But... I think this is why I find myself more and more getting more and more invested in Schalke as the season comes to a conclusion because unlike other teams who we've had in the Bundesliga recently who just kind of made up the numbers or really haven't put in, not they haven't put in the effort, of course put in the effort, but they just don't have the quality to try and challenge week in, week out. Schalke really have been grinding away since Thomas Rice came in and they're still within touching distance of safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, yeah. this could go down to the final day. Um and I think they've done a really good job of kind of emphasizing the real how tight the bomb is. Yeah, the no, is. it's it's been fascinating to watch. I mean, we've been really blessed this season with so many different races going on. The relegation race is just as fascinating as the title race in many ways, more fascinating because there's so many teams involved, right? And big name teams involved. And I made this point on uh, in our WhatsApp group um, that with Darmstadt and Heidenheim likely now coming up, 
um, and Hertha already going down. And this might sound harsh. We need a smaller team to get relegated from the Bundesliga to sort of make up the numbers. Now, it's all based on merit. We don't want to say, okay, Heidenheim and Darmstadt don't deserve it. But it's not like that they're going to bring big crowds and big stadiums to the Bundesliga, right? And both those teams will probably struggle next year, um, in fairness. So, you know, that will get us to a situation where the table will not be as balanced as it is this year. So it'd be good for someone, if Hertha do go down, which seems likely, that, you know, maybe Stuttgart or... Uh, Schalke can stay in this league or maybe ideally both. Now again, you know, it's all based on merit, but for the Bundesliga and I think for the people that are trying to sell the Bundesliga, not just domestically, but also abroad, um, that is probably a pretty good scenario. Now we don't know if that's going to happen because like all these teams are pocket picking up points here and there. You know, Stuttgart are a massive club, Schalke are a massive club, even Bochum, you know, we always say tiny Bochum, but this is a team with a big history that bring lots of traveling support when you um, they have that fan friendship with Bayern Munich and, you know, they always bring tens of thousands of fans to Munich. They have, you know, if Schalke stay in, then you have the, the war derbies with Schalke and Dortmund. Those are really big fixtures in, on the calendar, right? So you can't even say that they are a tiny club because, like, yes, they financially they're not big, but they do bring a lot of eyeballs to the league, at least domestically. So it's really tricky looking at this and saying, okay, who's going to make up the numbers? HSV traditionally messing it up again, right? They're like the Dortmund of the second division. Um, <laughs> so it's a tricky one, right? Um, again, based on merit, I, I don't, I don't, I Heidenheim and Darmstadt on what they've done in the second division, they deserve this. But if you're trying to sell the Bundesliga, you really wonder, like, what is the ideal scenario here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, God only knows really who's going to end up getting promoted or relegated yeah. in this situation. Because, and this is the tricky thing at this point in the season, you usually can say, well, one of these two teams have, have really nosedived yeah. and they're going to struggle um, to kind of turn it around before the end of the season. But in no way can you say Schalke, Bochum, Stuttgart, Hoffenheim. You could rule any of those teams out because they all do have the. Not only did have the talent, but they've all got teams who are really right behind mm-hmm. their managers and doing what they can do to win games or to really, you know, not even just win games, but claw points off teams, as we saw from Boken against Dortmund. Part of me kind of thinks maybe Augsburg might get dragged into this and kind of end up in 17th place uh, with a team like Schalke or Boken. Uh, maybe in that kind of relegation <laughs> playoff spot, and at that point, kind of, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. At this point, you would kind of. I guess at that point you would kind of back yeah. Bochum or Schalke to kind of stay up at that rate, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think again, I really think that was such a huge result for Schalke because they'll be looking at that league table right now, thinking as long as we were within one point of sixteenth and fifteenth place going into that final game of the season, then really just about anything yeah. can happen, you know. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens, but. I'm so glad it's it's like this. I mean, those clubs will be hated, but I'm so glad we've got this. To con- it's it's kind of ticking on to the final match day of the season uh, as things stand, uh, and we have plenty to. I also just to. don't know if HSV is going to beat Stuttgart, Bochum, or Schalke. I just can't see it because these teams have been clawing and fighting in this relegation battle. And like you look at HSV and their like their issues with mentality and like staying power you can't really see them beating any of these teams just because these teams have been 
in such a battle in the first division, right? Um, you know, for them facing HSV, a team that just can't get the job done, you just know that they have a better mentality to to just basically say, okay, we're going to beat HSV and stay in the Bundesliga. Um, that you know, that would be kind of my takeaway. Um, that's a relegation race, Stefan. The race for Europe is equally interesting. Um, that includes the Champions League, where you know Union, although Union are probably kind of walking away with. Well, I guess it is fifty-four to fifty-six. So Union on fifty-six, Freiburg on fifty-six. Then there's Leipzig on fifty-four. We can probably say Leverkusen. Are, you know, I would say eight points is probably too much in four games to reach fourth place. Um, I I. I reckon Leverkusen will focus on the Europa League, um, trying to, to reach the Champions League that way. Um, the Champions League race is very interesting, but then you also have Wolfsburg slowly but surely climbing up the table. We have the German Cup semifinals this week, right? Um, Stuttgart against Freiburg um, on Tuesday. Um, and then, um, no, sorry. Leip- Freiburg against Leipzig on Wednesday. Stuttgart against uh, Frankfurt on Tuesday. Um, I was going getting ahead here because we were talking about a potential Baden-Württemberg derby in the final. But um, Leipzig, Freiburg, if one of those two teams win the DFB-Pokal, which is not unlikely, that, that spot would go back to the Bundesliga, which means seventh place would be enough for the Conference League playoffs, right? And that's where Wolfsburg are in right now. And they're kind of duking it out with Leverkusen. Um, of course, if Leverkusen win the Europa League, then we have to open up the math completely again because that would change everything too. Um, but, you know, um, Wolfsburg have looked really good. And with everything that's going on um, and the way that they've kind of run up the table, there is there is a good chance that they will be in Europe next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they picked up a really surprising one over Mainz uh, the weekend there. Um Surprising for two ways, you know, Wolfsburg haven't traditionally been great at home this season, while Mainz um, have been great away from home. So for to pick up that kind of result uh, and to do so in quite an efficient manner, I know Mainz had their chances, don't get me wrong, but uh, to do that is really quite impressive. And if you kind of look at the last five match days, Wolfsburg have kind of been beginning to pick up some steam. And the really interesting thing here is if you kind of look at the run-in for those, let's say Union Berlin, Freiburg, Leipzig, I'll put Leverkusen to one side, uh, but and then Wolfsburg. You kind of look at the games they have left to play, and you kind of wonder whether Wolfsburg might be able to kind of sneak into kind of like, um, you know, maybe like sixth place or fifth place. I mean, not obviously not going to get to fifth place, but they've got a decent run in the sense they got Dortmund away, which they're probably not going to win. But then they play Hoffenheim, Freiburg, and then Hertha, and that's probably two games that they probably can win. The interesting thing is if you kind of look at um, Freiburg and Leipzig was. Uh, upcoming fixtures there's a really good chance that they could drop a lot of points now obviously Freiburg play Leipzig in the Pokal this week which uh, just for anyone we'll probably talk this at the end of the show but we're also doing like a reaction show to these games for our subscribers so subscribe if you kind of want some Pokal coverage this week they then play Freiburg away right afterwards they then play Werder Bremen at home a tough game Bayern Munich um, away and then they have Schalke in the final match day of the weekend of the season, which we could have a Schalke team who are fighting for the lives there. Okay, so difficult for Leipzig. Then you have Freiburg again, double header against upper, uh, double header against Leipzig. Then play Union Berlin, 
Then they play Wolfsburg. Then they finish the season against Frankfurt. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Freiburg could feasibly lose those last kind of four games in the league, not to mention the Pokal match. You know, I, I think it really is like a toy cost between them and Leipzig right now in terms of the Pokal and the corresponding Bundesliga clash. But that those clash against Union, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt were really, really difficult for them. Um, you know, going forward. And then Mainz, uh, who are also kind of in the running as well, play Schalke, Frankfurt, Stuttgart and Dortmund. Um, so there's no, I mean, it seems like a bit of a cliche, but there's really no easy games left at this point this season. Um, and then you kind of turn to Leverkusen, who have Cologne, Stuttgart, Gladbach and Bochum, which is maybe the easiest of those run-ins. But then you remember that they're also in the middle of a Europa League uh, run and, you know, they, they're they struggling to kind of um, balance both of those things we talked about. I think it was, I can't remember what show it was last week and about the way that Xabi Alonso's having to kind of um, bide his time with Florian Wurtz and maybe having to drop him or rest him in between Europa League games. So I think there's so much left to play for in those kind of European spots. I mean, you know, you say that, like, you know, maybe... Freiburg, Leverkusen, sorry, Union Berlin, Freiburg and Leipzig have kind of pulled away from the likes of Leverkusen, Wolfsburg and Mainz, but there's by no means anything certain that those three teams will pick up, you know, four, three or four wins between them and the season. So, so much to play for. And you might have a situation where, especially if one of these teams wins the Pokal that's in the top six, you could have a team like Wolfsburg in the Conference League next yeah. season, which would be a great achievement for Nico Kovac. Yeah, side. I mean... That's a great thing. Uh, we have a seasons, uh, we have a season run, and the next four weeks is full of unknowns. Uh, which, you know, whether it's the relegation battle, whether it's the the, the fight for European spots, um, whether it's the championship race, snails race <laughs> to the end. Um, but then, in fact, we also have um, a team in the semifinals of the Europa League, right? Um, for the second year in a row, so um, that is an intriguing, um, intriguing storyline to follow, and we'll, we'll follow it. Um, and then, of course, the German Cup, which provides us with a completely different story because neither Dortmund or Bayern Munich are involved. Um, so it's been great. I mean, we might, and I've seen that set this on the show um, earlier, um, like last week, right? That we might have three different German uh, title holders, and none of them are Bayern Munich. Um, so. Yeah, it remains exciting, Stefan, which is great for the show. And we have no idea how it ends. Uh, as I said, I will no longer make any predictions. <laughs> I'll give up. <laughs> well, you're going to have to on Thursday Damn or Friday it. when we do the prediction show. But... Yes, I'll just like toss toss some uh, dice and see what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. It's probably just as good as like me coming up with a with a prediction. Um, but yeah, you mentioned it. Um, we'll have the preview show as always. That is the only thing that is the same. We'll have a transfer show, um, and then of course we have the reaction show to do it to the DFB Pokal, um, which is on Wednesday. So these are the programming notes for the rest of the week. Um, as always, this show is brought to you by Bet Online, and I think that is everything, right, Stefan? Did I miss anything? 
just let people know that yeah. we're on YouTube as well. We subscribe to the sh- We actually did a reaction YouTube mm-hmm. video to Marco Royce's contract renewal last week. So um, that's why we haven't talked yeah. about on the show here, actually, by the way, because I know it happened after the last show last week. So if you want some kind of reaction as to that and his future at Dortmund and stuff, yeah. jump on our YouTube channel. You'll find it Gig Impressing Podcast, obviously. And even if not, just go give us a subscribe. I know most of our listeners yeah. are obviously on YouTube now. Uh, and it's a good way to keep up with what we do we do more stuff aside from uh just on this main show we also clip up yeah. some bits from the bonus shows and the transfer shows uh so definitely yeah. give that no a absolutely well. um and there's more videos like that coming because it is a good way to react to news like that for us um, because we do big features on, on the Substack, right and then these are more of a breakdown so um sometimes it's better to react to small news for like a five minute video so check that out uh we'll be back later this week until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.